AC, this is a, kind of a special occasion for the Hammerland series. We are, of course, beyond Hammerland, and we're going beyond Hammerland to an actual bona fide destination. Mm -hmm. That would be the Village of the Damned. 1960, not to be confused with the 1995 uh, remake starring Christopher Reeve. Um, this is this is where it all began. And I believe I have a history with this film. It was one of my dad's favorite good you know, thrillers. But I think we only watched it once together because I didn't like it because he tried to show it to me when I was like nine years old. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, it's about this this village. All these you know kids run around and they can do things with their psychic powers. And throughout most of the movie, it's adults talking about, you know, problems they're having with these children. And then the children start doing stuff and then it's over. Uh, so I was just kind of bored watching it this morning with a mm. fresh set of eyes, glowing intent eyes, in fact, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, thrilled beyond belief. Um, and as a parent, as a parent yourself. Yeah. And uh, freakily, I, I verified this with my wife right before we got on. Um, they make it a point to say that these children, as they are... I was going to say immaculately conceived, but whatever the dark side of that is, <laughs> they, are uh, conceived. they were right. They were, uh, they came out 10 pounds, eight ounces, which turns out is uh, only four ounces heavier than my oldest son. Wow. <laughs> a big boy. Um, so yeah, let's talk about village of the damned. We're going to get all into it, but let me start by saying, hello, how you doing? Hi, I'm doing great, and I'm super glad that you enjoyed it because I I revisited this one as well this week, and uh, you know as as is always the way when I like recommend something, I'm like, oh man, I hope this holds up, and it really I think it's just a terrific film. Came out in 1960, the same year that Psycho came out. Uh, it's obviously a very different uh, slice of horror, but it is nonetheless a really great slice of horror, and um, I I. My experience with it was I came to it later in life. I I knew about it. I'd seen it in lots of reference books and things like that. But for whatever reason, our you know Saturday matinee TV programmers never chose to put it on. So I finally caught up with it, and I was like, "Wow, this is so good!" And I think again, as an adult, like there there are literally adult themes being discussed here that I think are more horrific. Uh, as you get older than perhaps if you're younger, just thinking, oh, yeah, kids with psychic powers. It's like, you know, like the concept, the basic, you know, uh, setup is that the entire town of Midwich, you know, goes to sleep one day, you know, like they are just standing or sitting or bathing or whatever. They just all go out for a couple of hours. And anybody who enters, like anybody who crosses the village line, Fall, falls asleep there's a great sequence where like you see them you know like a uh uh i think he's a is he a report and he's a constable and he rides across the the town line and like just tips over but then because he sees a a bus crash there's a right there's another he's been sent out to investigate it right was but there was a scientist was it was this guy there's so many like official looking and acting characters i can't quite figure out who they are but um oh he was a, a major major yeah, alan he's just a military guy yeah right he was sent out or he went out to the village because a person he was talking to on the phone the line went dead right uh, and that was um, his friend gordon zellaby his brother he goes oh that that's right so he goes out to see what's going on in Midwich and he sees this constable uh, and he goes up the road and he's like, oh, there's a bus crash. So the constable goes to investigate on his bike and yep. he gets up there and just collapses. 
and thus begins it's a small thing and it but it eats up a good portion of the time right. this really is science fiction and horror together because they're trying to figure out okay where does this spooky pass out you know fault line begin they bring in like literal canaries there's a plane that flies overhead and says okay you're flying over the village now what happens if you drop down drop <laughs> down oh now you're really dropping down yeah okay radio it in no one fly <laughs> below five thousand feet <laughs> yeah I, and i think i mean there's there's i mean yes the 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 story is ostensibly about these children but i think the whole lead up to the children's birth is one of the more effective pieces of the film like this this sequence where you're kind of like what's happening you know why does everybody fall asleep and then they wake up and it's like huh well that that was strange that was weird and then two weeks later we find out ho ho every female in midwich of childbearing age is pregnant and it's like i mean like to me that's what really hit me you know as an adult it's like Oh my gosh, like this is literally extraterrestrial rape, you know, yeah. like where wherever it's coming from, like not no consent was was granted in this case. And uh and and you have this just great, like wonderful dra dramatic moments where you know, like a, a guy who's been away, you know, for a year and he comes back and his wife is pregnant, or you know, a woman who young women who have never had sex at all are pregnant, and she's like God, you just think about all the stuff that has to come up in this small little town. Um, and I think the fact that like everybody, it, it, I actually had a moment, I had an Ian moment where I was like, what would be an alternate version of this? Where like, what if what, there was a woman who didn't get pregnant? And it's like, why, why is she different? You know, um, but yes, That's, I mean, go ahead. Not to cut you off, but that would be, there, there's a lot of this movie that reminded me of, um, it's a good life that Twilight Zone episode yes. everyone knows about Anthony yeah. wishing people into the cornfield. I didn't look up if that came before or after this movie, if or if they just happened to kind of tackle the same idea in different ways. Mm -hmm. But what you had just suggested reminded me sort of of the monsters are due on Maple Street, right? Um, the idea of you know this paranoid little block in a neighborhood, and you know some neighbors are just kind of different, and then it leads to all sorts of suspicion and chaos. Yeah, there, there are all sorts of great ideas. This movie invites you to question, and it doesn't provide any tidy answers. The only clue is to, there's two clues as to what might be going on in this story with these kids. One is they talk about, well, there's there's what radio waves that we bounce off of, you know, our satellites and into space. And maybe something came back and it's messing with our, with our genetics. Mm -hmm. The other is the title, Village of the Damned. I'd always thought that and maybe I still thought this when I was when I saw it as a kid. I thought it was there was a demonic uh, right. or you know Satan angle to it because it's the village of the damned. But that might not have anything to do with it. It could just it could be could be aliens. It could be mutation. Like this is the precursor to the X Men. Who knows? <laughs> well, it's based on the novel by John Wyndham called The Midwich Cuckoos, and oh. you know obviously the the title Village of the Damned is more you know marquee ready, but the idea of the cuckoo is cuckoo birds. Uh, they lay their eggs in other birds' nests and they leave them so that the other bird raises it as its own. The terrifying thing, however, is that when the cuckoo uh, hatches, it kills its nestlings in favor of having all the food to itself. 
And so it's really kind of sinister. It's a great title if you know that. If you don't know that, then, you know, of course, Village of the Damned is much better. But uh, yeah, The Midwich Cuckoos. Uh, John Wyndham also wrote the novel uh, for Day of the Triffids, which is another kind of great movie that starts off with one scenario and ends up being something else. In Day of the Triffids, uh, everybody is struck blind. Everybody on Earth is struck blind, except for those who were like, you know, in... Uh, like deep underground, they're they're immune from the rays. But then, in addition to everybody being blind, you have everybody, they have these monster plants that start marauding around and like killing people. So it's like, it starts off, oh gosh, what would it be like if everybody was struck blind? Oh, and what if there were man-eating plants as well? This is kind of the same thing. It's like, well, what if everybody was pregnant? And what if they were this, what these children like were mutants and had like, you know, all had blonde hair and all shared the same collective mind? I mean, I love that he's like, you know, it'd be even better is my sci-fi premise. Let's throw another one on top of it. Yeah. And I, I would have to watch Day of the Triffids um, because that sounds like it, it sounds like you love it. Um, I do love least, it. It's great. Okay. Because there is a thing in like sci-fi and horror. Sometimes you pile on one too many things that don't sure. quite belong. Like everyone's struck blind. And then there's mutant killer plants like, you know, just pick one. Um, right. But no, I, now I'm excited to 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 watch it because you gave it your recommendation. Yeah. But um, yeah, the the thing about the village of the damned is they and and going back to the, the cuckoo story, they I don't know if this was an element of the novel or not, but it certainly made its way into the film talking about something planting its eggs in a nest where it doesn't belong. And then there's a reaction to it. In the example you gave, the cuckoos attack the other birds in the nest. There's a scene where, uh, you know, Gordon and Alan, they go to speak to kind of the top brass uh, in Britain. It becomes like this, you know, big government military to do about these kids, because as it turns out, there are other villages that have sprung up or incidents that have sprung up in small villages around the world, and they all deal with them differently. And I want to say it was Alaska, there was some kind of, uh, you know, what I'll call, uh, you know, I don't know if they called them Eskimos or whatever, but a population there where all of a sudden all the women in the village ended up pregnant with these blonde kids and right. all of them are like dark haired, darker featured people. So they just straight up murdered all these children. <laughs> they mur- murdered the children. And I think maybe the women as well. Like it was just, it was oh. not a, uh, it was not a happy thing. You're like, okay, um, so yeah, but, I think there's like this one, and then there was one other one other village where uh, the kids survived. Right, and then there was also um, a town in Russia, which I think they came back later in the film to talk about how they dealt with their problem, which is, right. you know, it's <laughs> chilling, but it also speaks to um, the story about what happened in Russia uh, leads the characters to start thinking about how the, their own children may start to be evolving their own psychic abilities, which are, right. you know, creepy strong. Cause it turns out if you teach one of the children, something, the other children instinctively pick it up as if they'd been in the same room. There's a, right. a wonderful sequence with a, uh, a Chinese puzzle box. Um, you have to slide the panels around and get a, and get a chocolate out of it. You show it to one kid, they figure it out pretty easily. Then you show it to the other kids and they start doing it like in, in far, like increasingly yeah, less time. Yep. Right. The one bit, I don't know if this is a flub, but I swear there was one or two instances where I didn't see them stop to refill the chocolate in the box. It's <laughs> like magically. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> I don't remember like putting it back in there. Um, 
but yeah, that's but that's what I'm saying. Like the bit about the um, you know the population that that killed the children, the bit about what happened in Russia, they are, it's very simple dialogue, very well performed that paints a vivid picture. You can almost see that second like screen within a screen movie happening and wondering, okay, how is that going to play out in our main story? Um, yeah, I this is a very talky drama filled movie and i almost hesitate to call it a horror film except in the case in the sense that you've corrected me before horror isn't necessarily an aesthetic it's an idea of right. something horrific happening to people and how are they going to deal with it well and and these children your twilight zone reference is a great because these children are dangerous and they can read minds and so they know if somebody has ill intention toward them and so anytime someone starts even thinking about uh, ill will toward any one of those children, they they lash out. They, you know, they cause they, I think they cause several suicides. They cause, you know, one kid to like, you know, fall down. It's like they, they just they're they're kind of terrifying in there and they're just getting stronger as they get older. They're getting wiser. They're getting smarter. They're getting wilier. And I wonder I mean, we don't ever get this sense, but I wonder if they have any kind of mental connection to the other children around the world. You know, if like if there's any kind of like mass uh, brain that they're sharing. I I don't think we get any evidence to I that, but I'm just kind of like uh, just another one more interesting idea. Well, I, no, I just wanted because I'm trying to rewind the the tape from this morning, so to speak. You watch on think... tape. No, just that's why I said, so to speak, it's figuratively, but I am going back in my mind. Um, but no, I don't think they make direct reference to the other children, but they do talk about at the end, their plan is they need to get the heck out of Midwich right. and kind of spread out. And you don't necessarily get the feeling that, oh, they're going to spread out to spread their seed, although they do kind of mention that eventually they'll mature to the point where right. they can do that. But you almost get the sense that they have maybe picked up on the fact that because they're a if cluster, we're in one they're area, easily targeted. We're vulnerable, exactly. Yes, and like because it turns out that eventually they are the last cluster of their kind, at least in this iteration. They're like, okay, we need to make a move now, and we're going to trust the one adult who shows such a lack of emotion, such a void of of empathy, at least to them, because he is a very you know, not an overly emotional character, but you can tell he's got feelings and and a beating heart. This is uh, Gordon Zalaby, played wonderfully, I think, by George Sanders. Yeah, uh, he is able to use that external coolness, to, uh, along with a lot, a great deal of mental fortitude, to essentially, spoiler alert, blow up all the kids at the end, yeah. or so we think. Yeah, he is. I mean, he is a scientist, and so he has kind of a scientific mind about it. He's the first to be like, we cannot, we don't want to fear these children. We want to kind of like embrace them. We want to learn from them. I mean, they're clearly a superior species. Like that's kind of his, his hypothesis. Yeah. Um, and he does. Uh, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead, please. I was going to say, he does talk about, uh, because when he's meeting with the, the brass, they're like, yeah, to your point, they, they are afraid. And like, we need to figure out a plan to deal with this problem and all that. And he's like, look, they're kids. Give me a year. Right. You know, it's it it is very X-Men. He's like, give me a year, we'll put them into a special school and I'll <laughs> teach them how to use their powers responsibly. Right. Um, but it doesn't quite uh turn out that way. And I think it's more personal because one of these, even though it's very clearly not his kid, it is his son. 
because his wife, uh, Anthea, becomes pregnant. She's uh, older. I mean, he's way older. I don't know. He looks like he's in his mid 50s. Yeah, there's a big age difference between the two of them. Yeah. Right. But she's very much past. You almost get the sense that they had tried to have kids at some point and couldn't. And she because they're very excited when she turns out to be pregnant. She's one of the first that is revealed to be pregnant. And then you start finding out, oh, that person's pregnant. That person's pregnant. Oh, they're all exactly the same number of weeks pregnant. Yeah. And, and there's, a, I think, a teenage girl uh, in town who is consulting with uh, the doctor. And she's like, I, I don't know what happened, but I can't. This is, this is going to destroy my life. And he's like, look, right. whatever happens, I'll be there for you. I'll help you out. Um, it's going to be all right. One of the things you're talking about, what if there was someone uh, who hadn't been pregnant? I thought... What if there was someone in this town who kind of embraced being the parent of one of these uh, children? Because they're all kind of freaked out. But would it be interesting mm-hmm. if there was someone who realized what was going on and tried to align themselves with with this? That would be smart. <laughs> You'd be like, yeah. um, let's <laughs> let's be friends with the with the monster kids. Um, there's uh, the the script is by uh, Sterling Siliphant who uh, I actually was looking up and I didn't realize this, but we were talking about Academia Giallo uh, over the weekend about James Franciscus and his TV show, Longstreet. Guess who created that TV series, Sterling Siliphant, the screenwriter for this film? Wow. I know. I was like, wait a minute, what? But Sterling Siliphant also, he, he was busy in TV. This was kind of his big film breakout but after that, he became kind of the go-to for Irwin Allen. He wrote the screenplays for Poseidon Adventure, Towering Inferno, The Swarm. Um, he's got a great list of movie credits. And uh, it's a very smart uh, smart adaptation. Uh, Wolf Rilla, who's the director, also co-wrote uh, uh, along with uh, Sterling Siliphant. That's really surprising to me because I, I love Poseidon Adventure and The Towering Inferno they don't seem like they would come from the same mind as village right. of the damned, except for the fact that I watched those movies like within the last, you know, eight years or so um, for the podcast. And I'd always heard of them as big, you know, site, you know, uh, summer blockbusters, you know, kind of the precursor to all the, the big disaster movies we have today. So I didn't mm-hmm. expect much, but what I got was a bunch of, you know, smart, star-studded, actual, you know, cool, uh, creative with the special effects adventure pictures. Yeah. And yeah, I can see that with this movie. It's it's much smarter than, oh, we've got these aliens that have come to Earth and they're trying to blow people up with their minds or something. Well, what's interesting is that uh, if you think about, because I was, I was watching it this time with the commentary by Stephen Haberman, and he comments on the various communist il- illusions that are inherent to it the idea of you know this this alien force infiltrating and it wants and it has no emotions and that that they want to spread out and they want to infiltrate and take over our country i'm like huh yep that's very much the red scare mindset you know and this is four years after invasion of the body snatchers and uh i hadn't actually picked up on those themes before but i was like yes absolutely it's it's very much there in the fabric of it. And I think that's what makes a really great science fiction film is one that you can watch at face value and the drama carries it on its own, but that there are those layers beneath it of subtext that you can also go, oh, it's also a commentary on this. It's also a commentary on this. Well, what's ironic then is, um, because yeah, that is is a great point. Um, (laughs) Russia or the 
uh, Union of so Soviet Socialist Republics. It's so old, I you can't got remember it. what it you was. You got it. Right? Nicely done. Okay. Thank you. Uh, they're the ones who really come up with the, <laughs> well, we're just going to blow them up. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, you know, it worked really well. <laughs> but it's it's odd because if this is, you know, an anti-communist, uh, anti-Russian you know Russian, uh, sort of allegory, Right. You, they kind of prop them up as the heroes to say, well, yeah, enough with your kind of like civilized uh, English niceties of putting them in a school. We're just going to not tell anyone uh, that we're going to blow them up and we're just going to blow them up because they realize, and this is going back to their burgeoning powers, that you know their ability to read minds is like spreading. So mm-hmm. literally no one that they know or no one that those people know, know, can know about any plots against them. It literally has to right. be from like, you know, the the Kremlin or whatever, drop the nuke. Right, right. Because I mean, yeah, nobody can come up with an idea in town like that. Like you and and you know, uh George Zellaby hears about it, you know, out of out of sight. And he has to surround that knowledge with the idea. He like he he can thinks of a brick wall, and that's what he's focusing on so that they can't read his mind as he carries out the, you know, the, the final solution against the kids. <laughs> well, it's, and I want to talk about that. Um, <clears throat> I unfortunately was watching this on a laptop, so I knew what the running time was. I knew where I was at mm. in the movie. I could imagine seeing this in 1960 and not having any idea really where that climactic showdown between um, Zellaby and the children was going to go. Right. Because uh, as you mentioned, he gets this idea of if he can put his thoughts behind a brick wall, he literally sees a brick wall and he keeps focusing on it and building, helping that build up mentally so that when he crafts this, you know, literal ticking time bomb with dynamite and the little clock and everything, puts it into his case and goes to have a nighttime class with the students, he goes in, he's very nervous. Uh, he's trying to say, okay, we're going to go on with today's lesson. The kids were like, wait we agreed that we were going to meet here and you were going to tell us how we get out of this town safely. (laughs) And they're like, why are you so, why are you so nervous? The the little kid, David, who's the leader of them, uh, very creepy. Zellaby's son. Right. 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 Very creepy indeed. But we can see uh, Zellaby, his internal thoughts, like just, just need a a few more minutes. It's like eight 27. The bomb's going to go off at eight 30. We see his eyes interposed with the brick wall, and it's very strong, but then you see the kids and their eyes yeah, start to glow yeah. with their power. And then you see his Zellaby's eyes and the brick wall and the brick wall starting to crumble and reveal yep. the clock. It's like something out of like Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons Watchmen, just mm. this layering of uh, ideas visually in almost a comic panel scenario. Yeah. It's so tense that I was thinking, OK, either he's just going to make it and the thing's going to blow up or. Again, going back to 1960, you don't know if this is an hour and 17 minutes or two hours long. Right. Maybe they figure out, oh, you've got a bomb, and they force him to like run out in the in the field and blow himself up, and then the rest of the town has to deal with these kids. It's it's well, very tense. And what's funny is it is a literal representation of Alfred Hitchcock's famous uh, reference to shock versus suspense. The, the idea of under like the table. having the right. suitcase under the table that's ticking and you're like, no, stop talking about baseball. It's like there's a bomb. You have to take care of that. Uh, and so here here we have the same thing. It's like, you know, it's in the suitcase and he's trying to keep 
keep them from knowing what what they need to know. And so the suspense is like whether he'll be able to sustain it or not. Um, and I think one of the reasons this film works as well as it does, I think the direction is solid. I think it's well photographed. But the actors are so strong. You got George Saunders, who is, you know, Oscar winner for All About Eve. But he also, you know, he's done some several genre things. He he did a really nice job with, um, uh, there's a couple of John Brom films, Hangover Square. And uh, he's also in The Picture of Dorian Gray. Uh, his last his last film is The Psycho, oh shoot, I'm blanking out, but it's a bunch of like, you know, Satanist bi- uh, motorcyclists. It'll come to me in a second, but that was his last film. And then he, and then he literally committed suicide after that psychomania. That's the name of it. Oh no! So he committed suicide after he'd done psychomania. He's like going, I've, I've, I've done enough. Thank you very much. But we've also got Barbara Shelley. We've got Barbara Shelley. uh, We have Michael Gwynn and we have Lawrence Naismith. who are all hammer veterans, which makes them fit right in with our new, our new series. Uh, Barbara Shelley, of course, uh, is is wonderful in Dracula, Prince of Darkness. Uh, Lawrence Naismith was in, you know, 1 million BC. Or and, No, was he in 1 million? He was in Village of Guanji. Sorry, not a Hammer film, but a Harryhausen film. Anyway, and then Michael Gwynn was uh, our monster in Revenge of Frankenstein. So and it's, it's great to see him in a performance where he's yes. not, you know, deformed and, and kind of like hunched over and creepy. Um Barbara Shelley, it's weird because I kept thinking she looked like uh, a very young, maybe even contemporary at that age, uh, Faye Dunaway. Mm, um, she mm. had that kind of quality about her. But yeah, I I love that it's just something that we don't see a lot in movies anymore and certainly not horror films. Adults who act like adults, you know, yes. <laughs> like grownups having to face this existential horror. Usually it's like, you know, teens or 20 somethings or or whatever the parents aren't around. Um, so yeah, I, I really enjoy the sophistication uh, of the story agreed agreed and I, I love how it's it's handled intelligently we have intelligent people doing intelligent things and they're just up against a foe that is you know uh a worthier you know a worthier opponent you know they're not doing a bunch of stupid things and the one time we see you know like uh well it's the the guy who's been away i forget his name but he's been away and he comes back and his wife is pregnant and it turns out that, you know, his brother is one of the first uh, uh, the adults that the kids forced to kill himself. They make right. him get back into his car and drive into a wall. And then that uh, that guy is like, I'm going to, you know, I have to I have to kill these kids. You know, they're, <laughs> they're evil. And the, the uh, it's it's George Saunders and Michael Gwynn and Barbara Shelley. All three of them are like, you need to go home. You need to go home right now. But the kids still pick up on his murderous thoughts and they force him to turn the gun on himself. And it's like, you know, it's it's terrifying. And they are forced to just stand there and watch. That's the other thing. Like they become like witnesses to it because the uh, kids exert mind powers over all four of them. But it's almost it's it's a little bit different than that, because the the other three adults who are not holding the shotgun, um, they are there. They are present. But they almost go into a trance. Like a trance, exactly. Right. And so when they wake up, it's not like they were forced to stand there and watch in horror as this guy blows his head off. They right. almost fall asleep. And when they come to, um, this they was recognize a, it. Yeah, yeah. 
Right. But the, the something there's usually a stinger to these kinds of scenes where the woman discovers the body or sees something horrific and she'll let out the giant like, you know, 1950s, 60s horror movie scream like, ah! right. Right. they don't do that here. No. We do. As we cut away from the scene, uh, Barbara Shelley, she like sticks her hand in her mouth and does that like kind of silent anguish probably because she didn't want to rouse the ire of the kids are like oh you had a problem with that <laughs> mom yeah. again it's the it's the wonder it's the it's a wonderful life um not it's a wonderful life but uh, it's a good life from the twilight zone like they all none of them can say anything you know they're like that was a really good thing you did anthony nice job thank you i want to see the alternate version where the people in that <laughs> town wish uh, that Anthony had never been born and Clarence comes down and has to deal with him. <laughs> it's a go. wonderful good life. <laughs> I'm going to start writing that right now. Please um, do. <laughs> now, have you no, seen, I'm sorry, where, where were you going? I was going to say, have you seen the remake, the Christopher Reeve, John Carpenter directed? Oh God, I forgot that was John Carpenter. I know For it's, some it's reason... John Carpenter after the car crash where, <laughs> where he suddenly wasn't good anymore. I don't think I knew he was in a car crash. What he wasn't there? in a car crash. That's a joke that we make about like uh, Metallica and John Carpenter got in a car crash and neither of them were ever the same again. <laughs> <laughs> Happened in like, you know, the late 80s. <laughs> wow. Yep. Um, but no, I, I feel like I've seen bits of it, but for some reason, I always had it in my mind that it was a TV movie and not an actual thing. Maybe well, it's because I saw it on TV and kept going channels or something, but it's it's gorier and but it's definitely it doesn't play much better than a tv movie um you got christopher reeve and kirstie alley and it's just it just feels it, it's it feels a little dumber it feels a little less classy you know it's just, just something about it just it feels a little more i don't know 90s <laughs> yeah well has there have there been any other like they didn't sequelize this or anything. Did they, they did the, sequelize the... this actually. Uh, Children of the Damned uh, came out three years later, I believe, and it follows a you know follows a, a group of children that did survive, and they are being kind of preserved. I, I think there's like one from every country. <laughs> it's like one from UN, every country. UN of the Damned. Yeah, it's like a UN of the Damned basically. And I haven't seen it recently enough to speak to it, but I remember it not being. It's not bad. It doesn't have quite the same haunting quality. It's a little more sci-fi than horror, uh, but it's you know it's it's out there if people want to check it out. Mm. Yeah, well, this movie is is definitely out there, and I'm glad <laughs> that you recommended we we watch it. I wasn't quite sure what to expect or what the the kind of hammer connection uh, was. I know we've watched a couple. It's it's nice to go back and you know visit some black and white movies. We've talked about a, a handful of those. Uh, on our journey it's just kind of a nice change of pace getting away from that all that vivid color and and red blood um you mentioned that the remake was kind of gory this movie is i don't know what this is rated it could be rated g for all i know because mm -hmm. it's so clean even yeah. when the guy with the shotgun there's no you see the the barrel go up to his chin and the beads of sweat and he looks very disturbed it's far more effective than if we'd actually seen his brain splatter because you just wonder you know what was going through his mind well, yeah. besides bullets <laughs> and i do think that that's the thing like i feel like there's a real sense of horror surrounding a lot of these events like the horror of 
you know, being forced to turn a gun on yourself, the horror of being forced to get back into a car and drive into a wall, the, the horror of waking up and finding out you're pregnant when you're 17 and you've never been with anybody, you know, like there's, it's, it's more cerebral and, uh, and yet there's still, you know, there's horror elements in terms of kind of, I want to say like, sh not schlocky, but like, you know, kind of that shock of like having, you know, the eyes kind of glow, um, the fact that all the children are are the same, you know, there's there's some elements that that make it, you know, lean it into kind of like uh, that that off center world that that kind of horror can occupy. Well, yeah, I mean, speaking of kind of off center, I noticed that, and I, it's special effects of the time, I guess. But when the mm. kids' eyes, you know, go to that that kind of like glowing cat thing i yeah. noticed they're all still frames yes except for one scene where right. <laughs> the one kid is like with his i don't know if it was david or if it was one of the girls it's david. was what it was okay so it was david yeah. with uh with his mother or his nanny or something they're side by side and at one point you can see she turns to look at him as his eyes are going and there's like a very subtle i don't know if it's because the hd of like this the streaming video i was watching or whatever <laughs> but yeah you could see that that fade where they're kind of like trying to splice it together the still of the the glowing eyes and then the the reality of her looking at him it's creepy and strange and it's the best kind of cheat yeah and i well so so i and i heard about this on the commentary like yes this they're still and they used you know like negative imaging so as to be able to have that. The reason they couldn't do it is because David was having, he was speaking, he had lines. And so he couldn't, they couldn't just freeze him. So they had to rotoscope in his, his pupils. And so that's why you see just a little bit of a different effect on that. Speaking yeah. of David, uh, he's played by Martin Stevens, who we will be seeing again later this year in, I think maybe even next month uh, in the innocence. But he is I a, like a, he's a, you know, he's a he's wonderful child actor and that kind of like removed adult quality that he brings to the performance, both here and even more so in The Innocence the next year, 1961, uh, it kind of made him, you know, he was kind of like the go-to kid. And then he decided, I don't much care for this acting thing. And he retired and became an architect. Wow. Did he build villages? Perhaps. Um, no. <laughs> But I, I do want to talk about that performance because it is so unnerving. Mm -hmm. Was that was that all him? I, the reason I ask is because he sounds like a little boy, but the sophistication of the way he delivers his lines, it sounds like he's a like a classically trained adult actor. It just doesn't it, it goes with the whole oddball qualities of these kids. It's like that should not be coming out of that kid's mouth. Right. The dialogue, certainly, and I believe I, I, I believe I heard this, that he was dubbed. The performance was dubbed. Um, I know that he it's his it's his voice, I believe, for the innocence, but I believe he is dubbed for this performance. Um, but again, he's still able. I mean, you, clearly, he's performing, you know, like he's bringing that sense of uh, of maturity to it. But I don't know that it's his voice, but I hadn't heard that prior to uh this most recent viewing but it almost makes sense if it was was his voice and dubbed because i could see sure. some of the lines he has to read you know i could see them having to record that yeah instead of you know and then you say this and then you say you know, <laughs> cut it all together instead yeah. of just doing it in, on the set um i was thinking about 
the fact that we have another Children of the Corn remake coming out this uh, this year. And I saw the trailer for it. And yeah, you know, it's, I, they've really I, kind of done a spin on it. Yeah, I mean, it, but it's the it's the modern kind of, you know, yeah. remake spin. Um, was it Isaac, I guess, is now the Isaac character is now a, a young girl uh, instead of the creepy, you know, teenage boy. Um, mm-hmm. There's kind of spinning things all around. It looks a lot more violent and disgusting. Mm-hmm. But I'm watching this movie and thinking, why with all of these remakes and all the creepy kid movies that have come out, or at least a good deal of them, why don't they just re-release Village of the Damned and get it over with? <laughs> because... well, well, apparently, and I, did, I didn't know this until I was looking online to, to talk about this film. Uh, there was a seven-episode BBC series called The Midwich Cuckoos. So in 2022, it just came out. So it's out there in the world. And again, I like the idea of a separate, you know, a longer form to kind of examine these relationships and dig deeper in and maybe be a little bit more explicit about the conversation. Um, so that's something I'm I'm planning to keep an eye out for because I didn't realize that it had been remade. I knew it had been remade as Village of the or uh, Village of the Dam 1995, but I didn't realize there was a more recent remake called Midwich Cuckoos. Well, if you figure out how to watch that and you can tell me i would love to do like a supplemental like we watch the series and then talk about it yeah for um because sure. i i could see that being really cool i could also see it being a big problem because part of the mystery or part of the, the fun of this movie is not having everything explained right to you. sure sure um and yeah i don't know well in some wow. ways you know like there's I, I i mean i tend to be someone i favor uh, film versus TV, just because I like the idea of a compact, concise story in the same way that I really like the idea of the haunting, the film, as opposed to the haunting of Hill House, the series, which is just kind of like stretches and stretches and stretches. It's like, guys, it was just, it was this big of a book, you know, <laughs> work with me. It's just like Peter Jackson with the Hobbit trilogy. <laughs> like you struck gold once, but you can't turn Let's this into this up here. Hours. There's more yeah. stuff we can shove in there. <laughs> yeah but anyway yes um, I, I would i would very much i'm very curious to hear or to find out uh how midwich cuckoos plays the, maybe it's because of one flew over the cuckoo's nest i just feel like a village of the damned is a better title because i just it sounds like it's a village full of crazy people and it kind of is but not <laughs> it really <kinda> is yeah <laughs> um so yeah any oh it, at the very end of the movie and this is the one i mean i get that they were limited possibly but that was a model house right that, oh, that blew up it sure was because there <laughs> the explosion itself looked all right but when they cut back you yep. can see that it's just like a regular flame like blowing through this model yep. and that that's yep. not how like house fires yeah, fire work. yeah fire does not work well in miniature fire and water are really tough to do in miniature and yeah that was that's the one moment you're like oh dang it that was but it's right before the end yeah, um, yeah. Oh, and also, was this? I want your interpretation of that closing shot <laughs> with, with the little the, eyes floating with out. With the eyes, yeah, floating out. Was that a stylistic thing, or is that supposed to be like the spirits, like the Pac Man ghosts going back to the center of the board before they regenerate? I tend to think it is along the lines of the end, dot, 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 or is it, you know, just to give us a little bit like, you know, frisson to be like, oh, okay, anything. Is there more? Could are you know because they clearly are incredibly powerful mental 
creatures. So perhaps the butt, maybe, maybe the body doesn't, they don't need the body or they need to, you know, find another body. I don't know. But I think that's kind of just one more little stinger they threw in there. Uh, Cause I can't imagine it actually meaning anything other than that. Yeah. Like, I don't know why you would do that. I don't know why they did that. Like, it's, <laughs> it's kind of a weird, like, and I, and I, I'll go on the record as saying, I don't think it's, I don't think it's great. I think it would have been it would have been better to just run the end over the burning house and call it a night. Yeah, and that would have been very very hammer as well. For sure. Um, the last thing I want to mention is again the idea of evolving powers. There's a great scene where Gordon is talking to David and he says, "Can you read my mind?" And he's like, mm. "Yes." And he's like, "How much can you read?" I don't remember the exact exchange, but essentially it was they haven't gotten to the point yet where they can read intention, sure. like the intention to have a thought that then could be read, but they'll get there. Yeah. They can just <laughs> read the front, the front. And that yet yeah, he does say that he's like, yeah, but we'll, you know, but we're, we're going to get there. <laughs> yeah. And that's when Gordon's like, okay, time to, <laughs> time to look into some clocks. Um, but yeah. Any final thoughts on village of the damned? Uh, it, it's a, it's a film that is, you know, how old now? God, it's it's got to be 1960. 60, so that's uh, 63 years old, right? Yeah. I mean, it, I just think it's I think it packs so much power. I think it's a really smart film. I think it's really handsomely produced. And it introduces us to Martin Stevens. And without Martin Stevens, The Innocence, which we'll be watching next month, would not be quite as amazing as it is. So I, I'm happy that this film exists for many, many reasons. Me too. And I, I said it was my final thought, but I, I kind of lied because I just <laughs> thought of something. This is one of those movies where I said they should just re-release this movie. I feel like this is one of those rare examples where it kind of just, if you wanted to remake it shot for shot and not change anything about it story-wise, whatever, it would still work because it's, it is, they think of pretty much everything. There's nothing in here that a cell phone or the internet would really solve or be right. a problem. It's a remote village even if they had all this information online it doesn't really matter because these kids are connected to themselves they're somewhat connected to the you know the outside world events you could even say oh we need to shut down access to, <laughs> to the world wide web and cell phones right. to this you know to isolate this problem but yeah it's it's not corny it i think it's just the fact that it's in it's in black and white i mean you can imagine yeah. this is it's a very modern 63 year old movie yeah well, and kind of 1960, I mean, I remember making this comment elsewhere, but 1960 was such a great year for horror. We, In addition to Psycho, which I already mentioned, we had Peeping Tom that came oh, out yeah. the same year. We had uh, the first of Roger Corman's AI, AI uh, Poe adaptations, Follow the House of Usher. We had Brides of Dracula, which was, you know, the first sequel to Hammer's, you know, Blood of Dracula, which had come out the year before. And we had this film. It's like 1960, man. Like, what a great, great year. It just, it feels like people are kicking open the door to a new era, which in a lot of cases, uh, they were. It's like, okay, we we did some cool things in the 1950s with science fiction and horror, but yeah. here's what we can, you know, really do. This is what the future is going to look like. Yeah. Um, and it is kind of sad that that's not what, really what the future looks like. <laughs> But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad we've got these movies we can look back on and appreciate. Um, sure. But I appreciate you, AC, hanging out and, and talking with us. 
um, about uh, you know all things beyond Hammerland. And next week or next month, not next week, we're going to be talking about the Innocence. Set that up for me. What's what's that one about? The Innocence. The Innocence is the adaptation of uh, the Henry James uh, novel *Turn of the Screw*. And stars Deborah Carr, Pamela Franklin, and Martin Stevens, and uh, it's it's a terrific ghost story, haunted house. Uh, it is black and white, and uh, I think I think you'll dig it. Have you All not right. seen it? No. Oh, no. great! This is I. This is one that I really like introducing to people. I don't. Nobody. Nobody seems to come away disappointed. I hope you won't be the exception. I I hope so too. Don't don't jinx me like that, sir. <laughs> but uh, no, thanks. Uh, Aaron Christensen of Horror 101 with Dr. AC. It's always a pleasure. Um, check out his uh, stuff below. Did you did you write about Village of the Band? I, I knew you were going to out me, and no, I didn't have time this week to write a written <laughs> review. If I do write one, I'll I'll pass along, and we can put it below in the comments. I shall. This episode's going up the day that we're talking about it, so look, check back, and retroactively, I will put that <laughs> in there when you send me a link. Um, and also, feel free, folks, to like and subscribe to this channel if you like the stuff. And um, yeah, and support AC and all of his works. Check out Academia Giallo, our other monthly series. It's uh, it's, it's horror is all around. Um, and until next time, whatever that is, whatever that is, thank you all very much. Thank you, AC, and take care.